The introduction for the Jay and Keith show is currently under construction. We appreciate your patience as we strive to build a better podcast for tomorrow, today. Jay and Keith back with you on this Monday. ETSU victorious over VMI over the weekend. We got a lot to talk about with the Bucks. We got a lot to talk about the Southern Conference, and we won't really break down ETSU Mercer, but certainly you're going to talk Mercer Bears because they rolled Western Carolina and maybe one of the worst bowl predictions in the history of mankind. Uh, yeah, that Blast did not go well for you. It really – that was just – I felt bad. I was just like, man – I knew I was right, but I didn't think it, it. Sometimes it's just bad to be that right. I just don't. I don't want to make other people feel that bad. Almost made up for it with Texas A&M, but uh, almost, almost yeah. does not count. Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, pick six. Oof. I went four and two. You went two and four. That does not sound right. Neither of us hit the extra point. That was not right. That is what I want to recount of mm-hmm. of games that I said or didn't say. You are going to love. The pick six this week. I don't know that I am. am it I is. It is six? for. It is, is all about the 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 college football sicko in all of us. That's what it's okay. about. Okay, I'll all tease right. that for Thursday. It's college football sicko. Yeah, the sickos. You know okay. about the sickos committee. Come on. I'm surprised you're not on the sickos committee. I am for various other things. I don't know if I'm for football. your your favorite your favorite FBS team is Iowa. We know it. It's okay. Own it relish in it it's okay i could watch them play every day it's you a quick watch game. them punt every day it's a quick game it's a good <laughs> the games that i like nine three played field position way the game's supposed to be people huddle there's things going on it's not warp speed mm-hmm. you know types of offenses and uh, formations that nobody's ever heard of i mean what's wrong with an i formation yeah. You know, a fullback. Speaking of fullbacks, how about Juwan Martin now? Yeah, how about Juwan Martin? One of my favorite guys, anybody that's been listening to my podcast and uh, tend to mention, hey, Jay, you get a little overly excited when Juwan Martin scores. You know what? Again, as I just said, talking about how I love a fullback. I like running the football. I like counters. I like things that uh, somehow at 45 make me even older. Um, I don't want to sound like Don Hellman, who thinks you should be, you know, three tight ends and, uh, you know, never pass the ball whatsoever. But certainly, I do like running the football. I think control the game, yeah. power. You can get the yards. You play finesse. ETSU's had some trouble getting third and shorts, but you put in Juwan Martin, and they were creative. I thought offensively and how they were able mm-hmm. to utilize him, not just as a lead blocker, sometimes as a dummy. So normally, you follow the fullback, right? You go to the ball. Sometimes it was he went the opposite way of the ball. Then they even play action and threw him the football. He even got a carry. So I thought it was great use of a strength that was left over from a Randy Sanders era team. I agree. And I mean, to your point, North Dakota state ran a uh, play with four fullbacks in the game against Youngstown state earlier this year and scored a touchdown on it. So that's, that's your football right there. That's your kind of football. That's your brand of football. It is my brand of football. Uh, but, yeah, Jawan Martin, I mean, as far as that's concerned, I 
thought it was a fantastic wrinkle to add to the offense. It's something, it gave them a dimension that they had been missing, which is the ability to execute the power run game and to have a lot of different um, options out of the backfield, not just, you know, Tyler Rydell turns left and hands to Jacob Sailors. Tyler Rydell turns right and hands to Jacob Sailors. You need a little bit more variety than that to keep defenses off balance about where the ball is going to go. And Jawan provides that ability. And he was converted from linebacker, I believe, to H-back once upon a time. So he's someone who has, a, I think, a really useful role to play in this offense. Is he going to be the star? Is he going to be the All-American? No, it's, we, we all know better. That's Sailors is going to be the All-American in that backfield. But you don't just win games with All-Americans. They are good to have. They are useful. They are important but they are not the only guys that deliver you the plays that win you conference titles, that win you playoff games. And you can go back through last year. There were so many instances where it was somebody that didn't have national name recognition, that wasn't Sailors, that wasn't Quay, made a big play, and that tipped the scales for ETSU to win a football game that ultimately paved the way to a SoCon title. I mean, Juwan Martin... Threw a lot of blocks that led to touchdowns for yes, you know, he did Holmes and Sailors, but also Randy Sanders would always break out at some point in time. Not every week, but about every other week, it seemed like the play action, fullback in the flat, especially in the red zone. Juwan Martin mm-hmm. doing jumping jacks because you're always worried about Holmes and Sailors. Not really particularly worried about the running back who had you know five catches and four for touchdowns. You know, it's just they were very strategic when they used them. It was uh, fun to watch him back out there. And, you know, the offensive line, VMI struggled to stop people from running the football. Mm -hmm. So I had my concerns if ETSU couldn't run the football. That was not a concern. ETSU was even bullies at time and bullish in the way that they were able to uh, create blocking lanes. And I thought Coach Nugabauer, who made the move from the field to the box, um, you know, asking Coach Corals about that. And he said, you know, really, as an offense coordinator, he said, when I went to the box, it was easier – because I had all my play sheets and all my notes out in front of me. I could spread out. Nobody's really tugging at me. If you're on the sideline, there's a lot of things going on that you're kind of worried about. So not sure how much that went, but they certainly worked on getting Juwan Martin involved. They worked on getting Jacob Sailors on the edges. They worked in a couple of those plays on the edges were actually counter plays that he popped outside for big runs. So big day for Jacob Sailors. Uh, another three-touchdown game for him. I think that's the third Three uh, mm-hmm. touchdown game uh, for him, his 10th 100-yard uh, rushing affair. His fourth time he's had over 200 yards all-purpose. He's just putting up gaudy numbers and, uh, you know, pretty much letting everyone know they're all keying on him, and he is still right now maybe your offensive player of the year. There's a couple of guys we could talk about, and maybe will when we get in the Southern Conference wrap-up that can give him a run for his money, but certainly he's not done anything to hurt his stock. He has not, and uh, the the only thing that I really think you could take away from him is that the team hasn't been winning as many games as they probably were expected to, and that's not something that I would be willing to take away from an individual player. I think if somebody goes off, and especially a running back, right? Like quarterback, he throws like, well, so-and-so threw for 3,000 yards this season. Well, that can be deceptive because if you're throwing a bunch of bubble screens and you've got wide receivers that can run a 4-3-5 and they just streak by everybody then you're not pushing the ball down the field. You know, those throws are quick timing things and the receiver's doing 90% of the work. The running back does 100% of the running back's work. So 
I am, yeah, I, I think he's right there in the mix for Southern Conference Offensive Player of the Year with the explosive games he's been able to have. And VMI was another one. And I know people don't want to get, you don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low or you want to keep an even keel. You didn't want to get too down after the loss of the Citadel. You don't want to get too high after you go on the road and you blow out a VMI team that uh, clearly had some holes in terms of talent. Clearly had uh, some issues at quarterback with no iron side, a banged up Morgan. They turned the ball over a bunch. Uh, you don't want to get too revved up after that. But also, this felt like a moment where ETSU maybe kind of turned a corner offensively. They got revved up. They got some points. They were able to find the end zone more frequently than they had against FCS opponents for most of the year. And uh, that's a signal that this team is trending in the right direction. I think the other thing offensively, if we could stick there, Bryson Irby being able to get some carries, not just that meaningful. He converted a couple third and shorts, mm -hmm. and they trusted him in that spot. I thought he did an excellent job picking up some blitzes. That's always a concern with a young running back. Is he going to be able – because – VM on that 3-5 three, three, stack came from all different angles. They showed different looks. They tried to confuse the offensive line. Felt like the offensive line did a great job. One of the rare sacks they gave up was actually when Baron May was trying to bail out of the pocket and tried to reverse pivot and reverse pivot to a guy laying on the ground and got tripped up for a sack. And if he would have just took a step back, he probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have been sacked. But that being said, I thought they did a great job there. I thought simple things that ETSU showed – some fight where if you're not – if you think they've given up on the season. Prime example, there's a – Sailors puts the ball on the ground. Looks like VMI is going to have a clear recovery. Isaiah Wilson goes flying in there, mm -hmm. able to rip the football away, keeps the drive alive, and he tissue scores. VMI goes right down the field on their first possession after a very um, a lackluster three and out for ETSU to – to start the game but then ETSU comes right back down the field and score they score 27 unanswered until the start of the third quarter which VMI first drive again goes right down the field and score ETSU three and out not a very good drive VMI gets down the field ETSU able to get the stop then mm -hmm. ETSU does go down and they answer and I thought that was huge for the Bucks and where they've struggled in the second half it's all been the the same message has been we're one or two plays away Right. It's been the message from GQ. It's been the message from the offensive line. It's been the message from the defense is that we are one or two big plays every game away from being really, really good and winning a lot of football games. And for the first time, I think, and even counting you know the Robert Morris game, for the first time against a D1 opponent, I think every break snapped their way and also that they executed on those big plays that you need to execute to win a game against a team that you know is going to play hard on their home field. They hit the big runs from Sailors. I mean, their first touchdown of the game was from Sailors was, what, 48 yards. So I mean, those are the kind of plays that have been missing at times for ETSU this year. Rodney Wright's 86-yard scoop and score. It makes me so mad because you called it 90 on the broadcast, and I thought that's a school record for Rodney Wright, and it's one yard short of the longest fumble return in school history and also one yard short of the longest fumble return for a touchdown in school history, as we learned this morning. But... I blame stat people. Yeah, they should yeah, go with whatever yeah. I say. Don't, don't, don't let facts get in the way of what I say. You just <laughs> go with what I say. I'll let you take that up with Kevin Brown. 
But this team hit big plays when they needed them and hit big plays uh, when they didn't necessarily need them but put them in advantageous positions in the long run. And if they can continue to do that, then I don't think there's anybody in the league that is out of their reach in terms of talent. It's been all about execution so far this year. It's something ETSU hasn't had. It's something ETSU had against the Key Dets on Saturday. Also need to talk about two quarterbacks, right? Tyler Rydell, this incumbent starter, 11 of 18, 126 yard, had a nice touchdown pass on a wheel route to Anaj Carter where he dropped it in a bucket. And then Baron May, heard he was going to get a chance to get in there, 5 of 7, 53 yards. He also had a ball down the field that he uh, threw uh, on a dime, uh, beautifully lofted for Will Hussey, who's actually being interfered with, but does Will Hussey one-handed catch things because that's what Will Hussey does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hussey, three catches, 57 yards. Carter, 6 for 49 and a score. But I thought Baron May came in, had one – throw probably wish he would have back and that was a play where he got hit and ended up having to come out and uh Tyler Rydell who was not playing that series on a third and eight was able to come in and deliver a strike so shows you you know he wasn't uh showing ill will or could pout or be you know he took it in the right stride you know you know what I'm the starter I'm gonna get some times they want to look at Baron May we saw Baron May able to Run the football, which is another strength of his. They did a read option down on the goal line where he picked up uh, four yards. And then on the next play, a little counter play to Sailors for a touchdown and set it up. So I thought Baron May, given an opportunity, you know, able to do things. You know, he had the rough 0 for 7 against Mars Hill, but it was in garbage time and game's over. And, you know, a lot of backups are everywhere and all that. You know, he had a couple balls that didn't look particularly great, and he had a couple balls that were uh, nicely thrown. Six foot two hundred, yeah. I, I, you know, he's got the right size. He was a three star prospect coming out of uh, of high school in in Ohio, in New Philadelphia, Ohio. He he played for Eastern Michigan, like he was a a well thought of QB prospect, and so this is his first opportunity to get really meaningful reps uh, at ETSU and his first meaningful reps in college football. I mean, that you talk about that what over six, over seven against Mars Hill. That was the first reps he took as a college football player. In a live game. I mean, how do you uh, judge a guy based solely on that? I mean, he's been thrown into the, you get thrown into the deep end a little bit. You know, you're out there with the twos or maybe even the threes late in a game that's already out of hand. I thought in neutral game situations, uh, May acquitted himself pretty well. And I'm intrigued to see what else he adds. I mean, the goal obviously is Rydell's just not a, a runner. Right, Rydell doesn't do a lot of design stuff, QB power, uh, zone reads, where maybe you keep the ball, that that sort of thing. And that's what Adam Neugebauer wants to do. May may be more compatible with the identity of the offense that they're trying to build. And, and I do think there are opportunities to get May on the field in maybe some specialty situations where you're looking for a quarterback that's got the ability to run the football a little bit more the way that May is capable of. And for whatever reason, Tyler Rodell seems to do very well when pressed. It seems like every time sure. he's going to lose his job or in the fall or you know, coach is mad for a couple games he's not playing well, he somehow seems to take his game up a notch. And if Having Bear May play a few series uh, changes the dynamic offensively for ETSU and elevates the game of Tyler Rydell. What does it hurt? Now, if it starts to take away from both guys, then, mm-hmm. you know, you could look at that later. But certainly, they both played exceptionally well. The offense responded to both. 
you know, they're going to continue probably to work different stuff with Baron May. You know, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there isn't more short yardage situations with May just because of the element of the running quarterback. So that was great. Tyler Keltner, three field goals, all 40-plus yards between, I think, 42 and 48. They were. He's been good. really reliable, and that is something that in a conference where so many games are fourth-quarter games down to the wire, you cannot understate the value of a good place kicker. Yeah, and ETSU's taking that for granted, and I know Keltner's had a couple of kicks, but if you look at it, I think three of his four misses or five misses are 50-plus yarders. And he's had the leg in every single one of them, you know, and probably not too many people in America. I mean, we saw Jerry Rice attempt a 52-yarder, who's a pretty good field goal kicker at VMI, and that wasn't even yep. close. It wasn't, it wasn't yep. going to have the distance regardless. So, Keltner has the strong leg. He's able to do some things. I thought the special teams was great again. We saw the return of Jacob Saylor's returning kicks, and Osh Carter returned a kick as well. And then defensively, I mean, what, what do you say? I mean, they you know, they give up a couple drives to start each half, but other than that, lights out. You mentioned the Rodney Wright, which DeAndre Davis lost in the play, not just created the fumble, I think everyone knows that, but he was down the field uh, as a lead blocker because mm-hmm. Corey Brady was the – and if you're VMI and you watch tape and you're watching your starting running back as the only guy down there trying to stop a touchdown and battling hard and eventually – Kind of gets by Davis, but then another buck was able to throw a block and uh, lead the way for Rodney Wright. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Corey Brady on that. But DeAndre Davis with the the, the strip sack, then the lead block for the touchdown for Rodney Wright. Mm -hmm. Elijah Huzzy continues to be maybe the best cornerback in all of FCS. Four interceptions now, had a 40-yard return. Quinn Smith, hard to believe it, was Mm -hmm. his first interception in his career. And then Eric Campbell in a spot start for – Stephen Scott, and that was reminiscent for me, Keith, when Stephen Scott had one start last year. It's Vanderbilt because of uh, Jared Folk's not able to go, and he has a fumble return for a touchdown. Now, Eric Campbell didn't score, mm-hmm. but he was still there to make a turnover. The first touchdown was ran over Campbell's side. We heard Robert Harper report on that, and Billy Taylor coached him up after that. You didn't really hear Eric Campbell's name except for every time he was making a play. I think 11 tackles, an mm-hmm. interception. Thought he played outstanding considering he's an outside linebacker. That's a guy that's been shoehorned. Now, here's a guy that's been shoehorned into a role that is not necessarily his primary role on the defense. It's not necessarily the best fit for his skill set, but he finds a way to impact the game anyway. And I think you really got to tip your cap to Eric Campbell for for the effort that he put in on Saturday and and what he was able to contribute. But, I mean, Elijah Huzzy... Just I, I, I there aren't enough superlatives. I don't. We're not talking about this guy enough. Huzzy is one of um, looking at it here. Seven players in FCS with four interceptions. He's tied for second in the country in total interceptions. He's tied for seventh with Sean Lewis of UT Martin in interceptions per game. So and and the the guy that leads the country has five. Maxwell Anderson, Weber State. He's got five picks. So it's not like Huzzy is out of reach and. I wonder, is is Mercer the kind of game that Huzzy especially circles this week? Does is, is, is he have a target on Fred Payton to get an interception off a guy who has not thrown a pick yet this year, who's gotten away with a couple of throws, but has not thrown an interception yet this year? I think Huzzy is going to be motivated. I think this whole defense is motivated. And they feed off each other. 
When Chandler Martin makes a big hit, the whole defense is fired up. When Elijah Huzzy gets the ball back, the whole defense is fired up. It's really fun to watch this group play together as a unit. And I think even when they're in situations where they get tired and they just... It's it's tough to keep the 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 energy up. It's tough to keep uh, pushing forward and 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 trying to drive an offense backward. Even then, there's still such a great camaraderie and chemistry with this group on defense that everybody seems to fire everybody else up, regardless of who's making the play. They all benefit from it. And just shows you when ETSU can create turnovers. Just in general, every team you see it, but ETSU is always fed off their defense especially when you have different guys make plays. Like it's another thing when Elijah Huzzy has yet another interception, right? He's kind of yep. been there, done that. But to see the guys celebrate Eric Campbell's interception, Quinn Smith had not had an interception and had said, I think I'm going to get one today. And then when he got one, you could hear it on Robert Harper's mic when the guys mm-hmm. are just, you know, tackling him basically. You got it. You got it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like they're just so excited. And then when you get somebody scoring that you don't normally see. Harold <laughs> O'Neill against Robert Morris on the yeah. block punt, yep. right? Yep. He's got like all of three tackles in his career, and he gets a touchdown. And now all of a yep. sudden, you see Rodney Wright. He gets one on the board. So all of that stuff with the takeaways, incredible. That was the most takeaways ETSU had had in a game for going back to 2018 when they took six away from, from VMI. VMI. Yeah. So the last five games against VMI, they've got 15 turnovers. Four Phew. of those five games are a win. All 15 turnovers came in the win so the one game they lost makes sense vmi didn't turn it over so defense always a catalyst for etsu Mm -hmm. jacob sailor's career high rushing attempts 29 on 178 yards his 178 marked the third highest total in his career Uh, it's only the second most this year (laughs) because he had another monster game uh robert morris 237 rushing yards the second most this season of course the 290 at robert morris uh bucks average six yards per play mm-hmm. you know you look at all those good numbers 46 rush attempts was a season high as well 17 points off turnovers and again i brought it up bucks turned over one time zero points given up vmi the only team in the league that has not got a point off turnover uh and it's not <laughs> like they hadn't had chances but no points off turnovers for vmi certainly uh, the downfall uh, or at least trying to get back in the game, particularly when that fumble happened by Tyler Rydell. And in third downs, Keith, we talked about this a lot, but 7-15 for ETSU and 33 minutes time of possession. I mean, it was a game the Bucks should have won, and it was a game that they did what they should have done, which has not necessarily been true this season. Yes. I agree with everything you just said. All right. Okay, let's, let's – I'm ready. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to talk about the other SoCon games. I'm ready to talk about the other SoCon games. Let's talk about the game Keith has been waiting to talk about the entire day at Sanford and Wofford. Yes. I've been it? waiting for this one. Yes. Was that it? Was that the one? Um well, let's I get mean, the other let's get the other two out of the way. Sanford Wofford. Sanford's up 28-7 driving. Yep. They're about to go up 35-7. Wofford, great job on a fourth down hold um, mm-hmm. inside their own 10. They go right down the field and score, and then they get the onside kick. 
they get to a situation third and kind of medium, then a sack, it's fourth and ten. They mm-hmm. don't convert. ends up being 28-14. But I'll give Wofford credit, considering what happened to Josh Conklin on Thursday, where Josh Conklin did the most Josh Conklin thing I can think of. I'm out on a Thursday. Don't worry about anybody else, buddy. He's worried about you. So, he's out there, puts the team yeah, in a bag. Yeah, 43 hours before kick for the for the next game. And, that was... and they could have laid down. Yeah. I mean, I mean give Wofford credit. They could have laid down. Think They got down. First quarter was a little uh, back and forth. I think there was no score, and Sanford started scoring. But it was 28-7. Could have been 35-7. They got it 28-14. Still struggling offensively. Just 212 yards total offense. But I give Wofford credit. They, they didn't lay down. They kept battling. And um, – Backs against the wall, and we'll see where they go from there. We've seen other teams around the FBS that made a uh, coaching change, and all of a sudden those teams are winning or being competitive. Uh, Georgia Tech, again, beat an undefeated Duke the other day. So uh, it, it's amazing to see how that works. We'll see. Furman Citadel, kind of a blah. I think it was like a 10-3 game at half, and Furman able to win 21-10. to But I think the big news there, and we debated on this on the broadcast when ETSU played the Citadel, when would we see the talented freshman Ahmad Green, who's a true triple option guy? I say that, and then I looked, and he threw 26 passes. So that's all we talked about on the broadcast. You got the speedster Green, you know. Really, what Peyton Derrick's not, you know, he went to App State because he could throw the ball. They went to Wofford because they thought they could throw the ball. Then he ends mm-hmm. up running triple option Citadel. When are they going to get the young kid Green in? Well, they do now. And I nailed it because he didn't really – I mean, he did run the ball some, but clearly either 26 throws is a lot. I mean, he ran it 14 times, which was the most carry, so he did obviously triple option type stuff. But 26 throws for Citadel is not going to win you ball games if you're the Citadel. No, I take that to mean that the Citadel trailed for most of that game and didn't really have a choice. They, they had you to know, throw it. They it, had it, to keep going. They were, but honestly, it wasn't that bad. I mean, they were down 7-3 at half. Then it was, you know, then it's 21 3. I'll give you that. But they didn't get to there till mid third quarter. Well, even then, that's a lot of opportunities to throw passes. I mean, you're talking about 26 passes. Yeah, Probably that's... you could throw a lot of passes in 15, 20 minutes yeah, on the back end of a yeah, football game. Fair, so. Fair. I, I think that's kind of where a lot of that probably came from is trying to get back in the game down multiple scores. But I mean, if you're the Citadel, um, you look at your win loss record and now, especially now Furman, Mercer, Campbell, you're what, one and four overall with the App State blowout. This team is probably a team that can start looking like, okay, where can we find wins? How do we find wins? Probably got two or three on the schedule. You think you can beat Wofford. You are you better beat Virginia Lynchburg at the end of the year uh, and VMI as well in your, in your conference finale. You know, maybe you can uh, squeeze one out against Western, and suddenly you put together an okay end of the season. But uh, this is a team that definitely needs to start looking at its future, and I think you've got a young quarterback that is very much part of that future. I would Does the loser, uh, if, if Wofford doesn't beat Citadel, can they get a win in league play? Uh, they still got VMI. They got Citadel this week. I'm just. I'm curious. Citadel has a win, right? I mean, they got a win. I'm I'm trying to think. Can everybody have a win? If Wofford doesn't beat the Citadel, can they win a game in the league? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Probably not. That's what I was thinking. We'll talk about that. They still have, like I said, they still have VMI. They still still have have Western, right? They still have Western Carolina, or do they? Do they already play Western? Uh, No, I think they got Western. Okay. I can effort that while we uh, talk about Western Carolina if you want, but uh, that was well, I, I, I believe, you know, you, you know, Jay, you know, Jay, you know, Jay. Well, you know, Jay. Um, 
Dr. Barta. Uh, yes, I love Murray. I saw Murray at the Final Four a couple years ago. He he said he had nothing but nice things to say about you. I talk to Murray still all the time. Yeah, I, I think people are amazed by that when they ask me. I was like, I talked to other than uh, I mean, I talked to Tony Skull, who's gone. I talked yeah. to. Uh, Bart, I talked to former other coaches of, of non-football basketball sports, mm-hmm. I think, that throw people off. I don't talk to Torbush a lot. But other than that, Randy Sanders texts me randomly. Um, yeah. Talked to a lot well, of I mean, Mur- Murray was – I mean – Steve Forbes calls me at like 2 in the morning yeah. still. Like I work for him. He's confused by that. But. M- Murray's maybe not the most like extroverted person. Like he's not like a huge like, go-getter, glad hand, hey, shake your hand, how you doing, big smile, that kind of guy. But – he, I thought he was great to work with when I was a student here, and we, we all of us were having to work with the the head basketball coach. I thought, I thought People was just awesome. didn't like his Murrayisms, or as they called him. I, I think that was <laughs> his, he was the consummate coach beat guy, right? A little he bit. He was always a, little a coach bit. beat yeah, guy. A little bit. You know, was always give the other team this. It was great. I mean, I think that's where you know, and you'll hear it for twelve years, right? And people, anytime you hear a coach twelve years, generally people no doubt. are tired no of doubt. it. But no, I talked to, but I did, did enjoy that. I, I caught the the moo bar there, if you will. Well, you know, Jay. Well, you know, it is. Um, what it is is, I believe I said on this broadcast, broadcast on this podcast on Thursday. I don't recollect any of this. that. Western was going to be too reckless with the ball and it was going to burn them against Mercer because Mercer punishes teams for making mistakes. Do you know when the first turnover was for Western Carolina in the football game? Uh, the first possession. Yes. They threw the interception. I think yes, uh, it jo- was. Jones threw uh, or Davis, excuse me, Carlos Davis overshot the receiver running mm-hmm. down the right sideline on the far side. And I believe Mercer immediately scored a touchdown off that turnover. They did. And that was the game. That was it. Game was over because Western Carolina didn't score seven points. And the second turnover was in the early second quarter. Yeah. Dowling with an interception, I believe. Yeah. Um, they scored on that one. The third interception they did not score on. Uh, they did punt and down Western at like the four-yard line, and Western didn't get out of there and punt in the back, and they scored on that one. So it mm-hmm. may have led to a another score. And then the last inter- or the the third interception for Davis when he got pulled was actually one of the stranger ones because it actually hit the tight end or running back coming out of the backfield. And it's one of those where like he kind of caught it, juggled it, and as the guy was going to go hit him, it almost like he shoveled it right into his belly. Like mm. it was like, hey, you get you you get the ball. Like, that was Dowling second, but he, it was one of those where I was expecting when you see interception, you always think, especially with Davis, you're thinking, oh, I just tried to force one in there. It was just terrible, and it was an easy pick. That one that one was a tough one for Western to handle, and then that got cashed in on the very next play. Uh, that was a mm-hmm. one-play drive, 46-yard, I think, touchdown strike. Uh, I, should, I probably have it in front of me. But, yeah, they ended up hitting Devron Harper, who had just scored the previous drive on a mm-hmm. reverse. Uh, and then catches the pass, and uh, Western was uninterested in tackling at that point because two guys, yes. two guys attempted to tackle like I would attempt to tackle. Mer- Mercer has outscored its uh, last three opponents: Gardner Webb, Wofford, and Western Carolina, by a combined score of ninety-one to seven in the first half. They're very tough to beat at their place, too. I bet if you broke yes. that down further, um, and I know you didn't, so I'm not going to make you try to do the math right now, but if you look at their last 11 games at home, they're 10-1, and one, mm-hmm. and their only loss, and this and this this is the outlier you'd have to take out of that. No. 45-7, they got beat VMI at home last year. Mm-hmm. Every other game, they've been a little better than one score or more almost with everybody, and they've throttled several 
I yes. mean, several. <laughs> they ran out of the building. And, 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 again, I'm talking not just – I'm going all the way back through the, the yep. spring, the fall and the spring of, of 21 and this year. They only got the one loss uh, in the fall. So, like 11-1, 10-1, something like that. So, Mercer at home this year has outscored opponents 129-19. to 19. It's – it's They've been. Slightly, I mean, Fred Payton. Yeah. Fred Payton had one. I think he had one that he kind of got away with. It probably could have been an interception that was. And, maybe and a it was. It was early, and you never know what that would have did for Western Carolina. Very true. Very true. But Mercer dominated Western at the line of scrimmage. Just, I mean, just bulldozed them at the line of scrimmage, and they, like you said, they did. There were times where the Catamounts didn't really look all that interested in tackling, certainly not against Devron Harper. Now, Harper can do that to teams because he's so explosive. He's kind of hard to find because he's five foot eight. So he can, you know, on the jet game, he can kind of disappear behind the line when he goes in motion. And you don't know if he's going all the way out to the boundary or if he's going to the hashes or, you know, if he's going to just sprint right around the tight end on the left side of the line. You never know. But also. Mercer absolutely just destroyed a Western Carolina team that is definitely capable of scoring more points than that. And I said it, they play on the edge, they play a little bit reckless at times, and that burned them because they got reckless with the football. Early Mercer made them pay, put them in a hole, and it compounded mistake after mistake after mistake over and over again for the Catamounts. It snowballed on him, and Mercer won big. And I am—I'm not ready to—I'm not ready to plant my flag in the ground that says Mercer is the best team in the SoCon yet. Still, the the toughest part of their schedule is coming because they've still got Chat, they've still got Furman, they've still got Sanford at the end of the year. Those games are going to be hard. And their next game. And their next game is also going to be very, very challenging. I think it's going to be a good measuring stick. We're certainly going to learn a lot about Mercer just from watching them because we know so much about ETSU as a baseline. But this team is clearly a contender. I think this is a team that has done the things you expect a playoff caliber team to do. And in a year where the rest of the bubble, particularly in the southern half of the country, is collapsing, Mercer might not need to win the SOCON to get into the playoffs. And then from there, I'll be very interested to see what they do. But I think this is a team that's capable of winning a playoff game, whether they win the league title or not. I think two are going to get in from the Southern Conference. I think it might be three. The Jay. question is, can the third get in? Yeah. I think that's that's the thing. I think two are pretty much going the way it is, unless there's some major, major upsets involving Wofford VMI and the Citadel and some others, then I think two's a lock, three's very possible, yeah. uh, depending on how who beats who at the end. But I, I think they could get three in. I think it's just going to, you know, other than the 52 nothing back in 2015 when ETSU restarted football, every game's been one score between the two teams. Yep. Now, the two Mercer wins out of the five uh, uh, previous meetings since 2015 have been mm-hmm. 21-13. ETSU won the 26-23 Jawan Stinson game, uh, and then 2018 won 21-18. Then uh, in the fall, uh, 21, of course, the championship, de facto championship game, the 38-35. So – this game has always been tight, no matter who's been good and who's been bad. You can actually look where, you know, one team's been fighting for, you know, the championship waiting to go, like 2018, where the Bucks were fighting to uh, win the regular season. Mercer was not particularly a great year that year. Uh, but then you, you look at 2019, both teams battling for what was 
a de facto uh, ETSU championship game. Then it was a true championship game last year. Mm-hmm. You know, winner was going to win the league. Loser was not. You know, with Mercer beating ETSU in the in the spring of 21, that took the, the championship away yeah. from ETSU. Would have locked up, and then VMI ended up getting because they had a half game because, again, it was one of those weird years. Everybody didn't play some number of games and all that. So, And I'm not taking anything away from VMI. They did what they were supposed to do, but, you know, ETSU kind of had the game circled when Mercer stopped them. You would have to think Mercer's had all year to sit there and think about the kick that went wide left that cost him a chance at overtime at a regular season championship. Yeah. So I don't think they care how good or bad ETSU has looked. They've always had this game circled. They will be ready for the Bucks when they walk into five-star stadium. And they, it might be a situation where, I mean, you're obviously internally motivated. Maybe you have a point to prove to yourselves. It's like, hey – we can beat these guys. We know we can beat these guys. We we know that we can beat these guys with gusto. So I, I expect to get Mercer's best game this week. I expect ETSU to get a really strong effort from the Bears um, in 2022 because of what happened last year, because of the way Mercer's playing right now. I said, let's go out, keep this rolling, keep this energy going. Drew Chronic's got that team playing at a really high level. So this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a real, real battle for ETSU on Saturday. I think it'll be interesting to see. We'll break that down on Thursday fully. ETSU Mercer on Thursday. We'll also break down the Southern Conference. We'll do our pick six. Wednesday, we're going to talk some other stuff. We're yes, gonna... we have a mystery guest. Mystery guest. We got a little uh, say what, right? right? Say what? Say what? Say what? Oh, no. You had to... No, I... that's okay. Oh, man. I, I did it for the say what. You got an extra 60 seconds, Keith. You like to talk. <laughs> I don't like to talk that much. You don't uh, like yeah. to talk? I just uh. wanted to get it. I just wanted to get it. All right. Yeah, so, I, so I, we got there. We got a Mr. Guest Wednesday. May have a player Wednesday. We're trying to get some things going Wednesday, Multiple Thursday. We're desperately, not desperately, Thursday, we're going to do all things college football, including the, I, the pick six where you said, uh, no, no, what did you, you describe it? I, I've got to give you a, I'll give you a tease for Thursday. Okay. The closest game in college football, the game that no one can pick, will be in the pick six on Thursday. All right, I like that, T. There you go. All right, so we'll be back with you with another edition of Jay and Keith. We'll also have a Thursday edition. Remember, three days a week now. Ramping it up. Buccaneers Bar Network. Bye.